Welcome back to the Cock and Ball Podcast. I want you to look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Uh, just a friendly reminder, you can follow our Facebook page, which is somewhere, uh, and our Twitter at Cock and Ball underscore pod. Uh, I'm Tom, a.k.a. Fenn. And once again, we've got a fabulous foursome with us tonight. We've got the androgynously named Ashley. Good evening. And alongside him, we've got the androgynously named Jules. You're all right, mate. <laughs> And we've got our resident neutral, the androgynously named Jamie. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so our first topic needs no introduction, really. Um, what Spurs can do, West Ham can do just as well. It transpires three first half goals for us in 16 minutes, three second half goals for them in 12. Uh, no team in Premier League history has not won after being 3-0 up after 81 minutes. And if that's not a definition of Spursy, I don't know what is. So, Jules, now that the dust has settled, are you now able to articulate what exactly went wrong? Absolutely not. I plan on bringing enough salt that you could preserve fish in this conversation. I'm <laughs> it, it's just, I'm not used to having enjoyed one half of football that much and hated the other half that much. Like, I really feel like I've been put through the ringer a bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm still kind of trying to process, I think. Speaking of not knowing how to feel after two completely different halves. I always growing up watching football, I remember the odd game when we were like 3-0 up or 4-0 up and just having a little joke saying, oh, we're Tottenham fans. We always need the fourth to feel comfortable. And I think that sort of summed up exactly why we've been saying that for all these years. It was chalk and cheese, isn't it? Two different halves, two like two different teams turned up. It was It was so poor, so, so poor. And I think the most disappointing thing about it was that for as much as West Ham sort of came out and you got given credit for trying and whatever, really they were all fart with no poo until we gave them a laxative. So I just know, we absolutely don't have to give them credit for trying. It's not a school sports day. There's no like, anticipation <laughs> medal here. They're a Premier League team who we slapped silly in the first half and then we decided to just completely collapse. And I fully blame Davinson Sanchez for 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 it at this stage. I don't know if that's too early to mention him, but here, here we go, finger pointing, Jim. What are you thinking? Well, I was going to say I don't know about you three, but I had a great football weekend. Like my team went top of the league, so it's all all rosy for me. Uh, but as a neutral, it was like a fascinating game, Matt, because it's just like all the cliches about game of two halves and chalk and cheese and all that sort of thing, sublime to the ridiculous, put them all together and you, that's where you get Spurs three, West Ham three. But, I mean, you you saw the worst and best of both sides, I thought, in that game and it just so happened that it came at the very start of the match for Spurs and at the very end for West Ham. And I wonder, if you look at it kind of in a rational way, had that sort of been spread out through the match and it had gone, the, the score had yo-yoed between the two teams, whether we'd be looking back at it and thinking, actually, that was just a really, really good game of football with a few individual errors in it. Um, and it's interesting that Jules blames Gavinson Sanchez because he's definitely at fault for the second. There's no doubt about that. But I blame Harry Winks as well. So it'd be interesting to get into. Well, it's OK, because I've 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 always gotten thought of Harry Winks as a great player. <laughs> yeah, I think you make a good point, though, that actually there are a lot of just really good goals in this game. And that's why I don't particularly mind the, their first goal 
there's the header, which I think Suzoko's beaten to. But to be honest, it's also just a cracking cross. Like, it's a great delivery. The third goal is, you know, no doubt, it'll probably be goal of the season in the Premiership. It's an absolute worldie. So you can't be that annoyed about those two. But I can absolutely be annoyed about Davinson Sanchez failing to do one of the simplest things as a centre-half and managing to not only get it wrong, but put it into his own net. And I just don't... I'm. I feel like I've been I've been telling myself to be patient with him for about four years now. And at what point do you just have to go, or maybe he's just not that good at football? Did we just it's buy always, Yeah. It's always been my issue with him. We've spent what, forty one million pounds on him. And he was always young. We always knew he was gonna grow in three or four years organically. And for that price, you'd expect a world class centre back at hmm, probably around twenty twenty. And we look at him and physically you love it because he's aerially, he's fantastic, he's incredibly quick. Uh, he's not exactly weak, but he's just got these fatal errors in his game that he's never, ever ironed out. And are we actually ever going to see uh, Sanchez bear fruit? And it sort of begs the question, now. my patience has now gone with him. I always gave him the benefit of doubt because I loved having a player like that in our team, a centre-back with pace. But that's irrelevant if he doesn't have quality. Yeah, well, he's... I've always likened him to a Ferrari at the hands of a teenager. He's got all the attributes. He just has no idea what to do with it. We always see him getting getting dragged out of position far too often. Um, he loves to engage in a physical battle against players. He has no... There's no point even trying. Like, the amount of times he got done by Rondon um, when, we were, when we were watching him at, um, at Wembley... We run down at West Brom and a similar plays like that. So Antonio was giving him a nightmare anytime Antonio pulled onto him. It's like he has to try. <laughs> he's he's toxic max, uh, masculinity in a Tottenham centre back, just trying to prove that he's the strongest and quickest man on the pitch. It just doesn't work for anyone. Um, and it, what frustrated me most is it was clear from about 30 seconds in that he was not comfortable on the left hand side of the pitch. I think he's he's sort of average on the right. But he should never be on the left. And I was screaming at the TV for most of the game, just trying to get, to- hoping that Toby and Sanchez would swap. And if I can see it, I don't know how the players and the coaching staff and no one else could see that they needed to change them over. When you're talking about centre-halves, I've always wondered, because further up the pitch, you usually play on the opposite side to your foot, don't you, if you're not quick? So if you're a winger, you see Lamella play on the right, you see and right footers play on the left. But there seems to be this obsession that if you're a defender, you have to play on the side of your your kind of favoured foot. And I I both get that, but I also just think, but yeah, Toby Alderweireld and Eric Dyer are both really good centre-halves, and they're both quite similarly physically built, I would say. They're both, what, like 6'1", six, 6'2", six, strong. OK, neither's gas, but, it, you know, speed isn't everything in football. Like, it is not a game of FIFA. Yes, Davinson Sanchez is great for FIFA, but that's not what real football is. I get what you're saying about playing on the same side as your stronger foot. I do kind of understand why you do that with centre-halves, because can you imagine, especially if you haven't got pace, if you're playing on your weaker foot, how many times you're going to get turned in your own area? I think we saw Dyer come in at the wrong end of being, when, when he gave away the penalty for England. So he's on the right-hand side of the pitch, as he, um, of the box, as he's running back into it. Um, which means that his right foot is closest to the attacker. So when he goes in for the slide tackle, because he's naturally right-footed, he's leaning with his right foot, mm. which means he's never going to get the ball without taking out the player. 
it's moments like that as well as being able to pass out with more options when you've got the ball in your favoured foot that really determines um, why, you know, really explains why we need a left-footed player or even someone who's just comfortable like Ledley King wasn't playing on that left-hand side. I like the way you guys have taken all of two minutes to, to teach me, like, the basic <laughs> football there, by the way. Because I've literally, I've, n- I've never thought about that. And I think it just shows that I've always been centre mid. So it's always, it's, it's someone else's problem. If the ball's over my head, it's not it's not for me to deal with. I just turn around and get angry angry if they make a mistake. Well, speaking of uh, a need for a decent centre mid, Jules, I don't know what you're doing uh, Thursday night. We, we, we might call you up. But I, my patience is wearing for him with Suzuko as well. That Yeah, OK, he's a great squad player. He's very good at keeping the other French players happy, seemingly. Um as a central midfielder, he's not naturally that sort of player. You can tell he didn't develop his game playing in that position because, yes, OK, he's a brute. You can see whenever he receives the ball, he's only ever going to give the ball generally within the scope of his vision. Really, if you're a good centre mid, I don't know if you do it when you play, Jules, before you receive the ball, you already know what space is around you. So you know that you can turn into it and move the play across the pitch. And for me, it's... I never really see Sissoko do that. And that's because he's not naturally a centre mid. But it needs to be a long-term solution because otherwise it's just Ndombele. And when he left the pitch, it was obvious that Hoybier oh, was just a little bit isolated. I know it's something, obviously, I, I have my, my passion points and my hatred of Harry Winks is, is very, uh, very <laughs> obvious. Um, but my love for Tongi is also very strong. And how good was he? absolutely smashing around the pitch he was making tackles he was just he's so good on the ball mm. he his feet as a centre mid really like I mean I don't know many centre mids in the Premier League who, who can do it um but I, I completely agree with your, your point Fen I mean what I mean he's not a centre mid he's going to pass the ball right like he's only there to act as a sort of battering ram sort of juggernaut or he's a winger and the problem is, is that he's neither fast enough now to play out wide or I think dominant enough in the middle to play to play there. And I was, but I've always heard people say like, oh, but isn't he a bit like Wijnaldum? Wijnaldum's got great feet. I don't know what this what this <laughs> thing is. That, that this idea that just because they're both athletic, basically, they're that, that they're the same player. Sissoko wouldn't get into most championship teams in centre mid on his technical skill. Like, let's be real here. Would he? Would he? Would he start for Norwich? Well, over skip. Over, on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, but, that's the most disappointing thing about it is that we have a very capable centre mid who does exactly what you what we needed in that game, which was just break up play and keep it simple. Um, but we sent him out alone. So hopefully he comes back the better player for it. But relying on Sissoko to do something he's just not capable of doing and asking Harry Winks. I don't know why every time he brings on Harry Winks, he plays him as the sixth and pushes Hoiberg up as the box-to-box. Because it just... I don't, I don't understand it. Interested as well to hear about... We were talking about kind of technical ability and physical ability, and I was rewatched the highlights before, sort of the day after, to take another perspective. And I'm interested in hearing what you think. I looked at the three goals that Spurs conceded, and to me, it's a combination of kind of mental weakness and not learning lessons. The first goal, you're right, like Jules, you said before, it's, it's a great header. You just can't defend those, really. But the warning, well, who's marketing? But the issue more for me is it's not learning lessons, because if you remember in the first half, Fornells nearly scored exactly the same goal. 
Mm-hmm. And once it's happened once, you, you kind of learn from it and make sure you don't do that again. And then you did. And then the second one is an error that is that we've talked about. I mean, sometimes you make them, but at this kind of level, you shouldn't be making a mistake like that. And then the third one I mentioned before about blaming Harry Winks. Now, you can kind of talk about whether the free kick should have been given. And I can understand you say it might not. But the fact is that when a free kick is given against you, you just defend it. And it's a superb goal. It probably will be goal of the season. But that goal came in the second phase of play after the free kick. And in the first one, we gave away the ball really cheaply because Harry Winks comes flying in at a million miles an hour, takes the ball away from, I think it was Lucas Mora, who's just about to get there. If Mora gets there and just punts it upfield, problem solved. Harry Winks comes in, heavy touch, puts it far too close to Lanzini. And he's been given the opportunity to score a worldie by being cheap in possession. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. And I'd say Fenn, unfortunately, at the start stole my my favourite stat, which is that we have defined Spursiness by being the <laughs> first team ever to draw from 3-0 up at 81 minutes. Which Sorry. Is like, it is, that is genuinely mad when you think about when 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 you say that back to yourself, that is ultimate that like that is like under 12s level defending but what also worries me is i've i've looked at a little bit of data for you chaps and here's mm-hmm. something truly scary we have the highest so for xg across the amount of games played so far we should have scored the most goals of anyone drawing with also uh, slightly ahead of everton and liverpool and we should have conceded the third sorry the second least so in terms of the statistics, if you just added together all the minutes and ran as a cumulative game, Tottenham, Tottenham started the season well. What we have also done, though, is we have the highest like repeat patterns in how we concede goals. So three goals from indirect free kicks on the left-hand side in swinging from a left-footer. And, and, three <laughs> Very penalties, and three penalties. So as Jim says, it's, it's repetitive errors not learning from mistakes and I just I don't know I I lost a match last weekend and one lad who who a couple of you know who is in our team who played uh I think it was like for Tamworth Town or something Jim is up it was like Vanarama South level Vanarama North even and he said afterwards he was like that people weren't angry in the dressing room worried me because in a good dressing room you don't accept that kind of I don't know, letting your teammates down. I wonder in that Spurs dressing room, who's given out an absolute bollocking? Who's told Suzoko, I'm sorry, it's not that's not good enough? Who's told Winks, why are you not getting to that second ball? And forget getting a toe on it, smash Lanzini. Ab- like, like, get the ball and absolutely let nothing through. Like, where is, who's going to be that figure in the Spurs dressing room who actually does that? The issues were as well as being repeating throughout the season we the, the issues sort of repeated throughout the game so I know I said earlier that West Ham didn't really have the quality to put us away before we gave them the chances to they did show enough to show us that we still had to be on our game and we still had to be alert and we came out in the second half and the thing that baffled me was that we played the 4-3-3 still and left three players forward but we didn't press them at all so we just gave them all of midfield to just play the ball around us and we'd sort of hope that we'd get it and when we'd get it we'd give it to Kane and hope something magic happens which isn't a sustainable way of playing football for 45 minutes to, to half an hour 
so that that was one of the ma- most concerning things about it. So obviously, you mentioned we, we're repeating the same errors in terms of the types of goals that we're conceding. But even within a game, we there's nobody out on the pitch who is taking control of the team, or even nobody out on the sideline who's identifying the issues and seemingly rectifying them mid-game. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and I think that's it speaks to a lack of leadership. I'm I oddly having your captain at either end of the pitch means there's kind of no one in the middle <laughs> being the captain. Mm. I mean I know I, I mean already you can see um Heusberg, the level of like influence that he's got um is is apparent, but I just feel like we're still lacking There's two points there which um whatever you think of Eric Dyer he does bring that to the team you can see him one of the interesting things about watching football without a crowd is being able to listen to um listen to our players and the commands and, and everything and he generally speaking is commanding our, our back line making sure everybody's getting in position he doesn't let anybody get away with an error which is quite ironic because he's eric dyer but <laughs> the, <laughs> secondly he's probably our only center back who is anything close to dominant in the air so i don't have the stats on me but if you look at them Generally speaking, he wins more headers. Well, he definitely wins more headers than Sanchez and Toby Alderweireld does. And when we're playing against a team like West Ham with um, Suchek, who's just Marouane Fellaini with some talent, um, and a haircut. you know, we we need someone <laughs> and a haircut. Yeah, we need someone who's going to go and win those headers in the box, and we can't just rely on I don't know, like like Sissoko with his lazy attempts to just put off Balbuena for their second goal. Balbuena's not like I know he's a he's he's a centre half, so I'm sure he's you know reasonably reasonably competitive in the air and can hold his own. But he's not a towering beast of a centre half. Like he's he, I think he's only like five eleven or six foot. Like he's not he's not known for being incredibly airily dominant. Um, and I appreciate they do have a few quite big players because they also have Declan Rice and Ogbonna. Um So you know there's a, there's there's a few more and two chats as you mentioned, but. I think it speaks to a worrying frailty, which good teams don't concede goals in the air like that. And I know this is a serious forum and you're making a serious point here, but did anybody see the photo at the end of Declan Rice and Manuel Lanzini? It was honestly like Stadler and Waldorf, just little and large. Like, he just got this beast of a man <laughs> giving this guy a bear hug. And he's like, he could genuinely be his child. <laughs> I've, just, I've just had all my my friends and my my brother today sending me the exact same video which everyone stumbled across and I'm, I'm sure you guys have all unfortunately uh, been the recipients of it slash Jim who probably has been sending it on to people himself <laughs> the the one of the West Ham with the alternative commentary and then the Chiellini interview put at the end of it for that exact reason I haven't been on social media since the game <laughs> <laughs> Ben what was your uh what did you think about it as a you know typically I think you Particularly as a ma- as someone who's a match going fan, you kind of see things which maybe I I I miss as I just see all the numbers and the XG running around the pitch. I mean, I'm glad I wasn't there because it would have been an insufferable atmosphere. There's nothing worse than uh, a last minute goal like that. But ultimately, 99 times out of 100, Lanzini's not hitting that postage stamp, and even if he is getting it on target, he's not getting it past Lloris. So there is an element of bad luck there. I thought there were. Let's put a nice spin on this. It's all been doom and gloom so far. There have been a lot of positives about the way we've played. Obviously, three goals in 16 minutes is is still quite a feat. Um, 
there, there were other elements as well. I thought Toby actually was probably one of his best performances that I've seen in a long time. Positionally, he's just, he knows where to be because he knows he can't move to those positions at any sort of speed anymore. Uh, obviously, Son and Kane are just the best stride partnership in the league. They're now overtaken Darren Anderson and Teddy Sheringham uh, <laughs> in PL history of uh, combinations. Is a fantastic stat. So there are a lot of positives to take from it. Ash, I don't, I don't know if there are other things that you can actually put a positive spin on this. Yeah, well, obviously we had to introduce Bale back at some point, and I can't think of a more appropriate way to play, to introduce him back to Tottenham life than throwing away a three-goal lead. I like the way that we've given him. He's he's like gone away on like the ultimate extended gap year and experienced a club where winning means everything and there's just elite mentality built into every sinew and then we've welcomed him home to that like that is quite funny in a way I don't know about you I was really happy to see Bergwijn get a start and I thought he looked really kind of bright and buzzed around buzzed around well um added quite a lot um I know he didn't get a goal or assist but that's not always the definition of a good performance for me yeah agreed was it the first goal that Son scored after 45 seconds that pass is superb the vision for that is amazing. Funnily enough, if that goal was scored in League One or League Two, it would be called long ball. But uh, but it, it works and it looked great. And that that sense of kind of dynamism between those two is is already really strong. And then you stick Bale in, and it's it's frighteningly good, isn't it? The the prospect of that. Now, what I would say is when uh, Fen, you mentioned. 99 times out of 100, Lanzini doesn't score. 99 times out of 100, Kane does at the end of the first half where he hit the post. And then after about 85 minutes at 3-2, Bale was through and would normally find the back of the net. And most of the time you get those little things going for you if you play that well. So we've said that a few times this season, but I think a draw against a side in form, admittedly after 3-0, doesn't feel great but it's not a terrible result and it I wouldn't be overly concerned about the way that that match went. So even on the Bale incident um, where he had that chance to probably put the game beyond doubt there's still a moment of, of that moment of quality is still something good to take away we saw a few rusty touches in there which is probably to be expected but we can get excited when we can see the kind of footwork that he he put on display to make that space He's going to be a very important player for us this season, and he's still a very special talent. I think he might need a few games of the Europa League to get his uh, get his sort of touch back in, though. As soon as he lost the ball, he he sort of puffed around the pitch like Thomas the Tank Engine. He wasn't exactly uh, at his <laughs> at his sharpest, was he? You, you could tell that for him, he he definitely hasn't had a preseason. Look at it that way. So the Europa League group stage is probably just what he needs. Yeah, ultimately, we need to remember the state of the squad that Josie took over as well. And I'm not going to say we lack the winning mentality because I hate that statement. It's the most lazy bit of analysis. It doesn't mean anything. But what we did lack is is ruthlessness and the ability to dominate a game with and without the ball. When you can see slowly for 15 minutes here and there, you, we can see that started to be introduced. Sounds like winning mentality to me. <laughs> One thing I would say about... Um bail missing from eight yards <laughs> as soon as well as he's getting his shot away Yarmolenko doesn't even bother to use his feet to to tackle bail he just shoves him over is, is there not is there not a shout for VAR to look at that 
I didn't even really notice it. To be I can't honest. say I noticed either, to be honest. But you might, <laughs> you might have a point. I think on VAR, my only thing I want to get your your boys' opinion on the uh, Van Dyke incident because I've heard people say it's not malicious, and I agree that he hasn't, you know, gone in thinking I want to break this guy's leg. But I don't understand this idea. He's he's lunged in as a goalkeeper that has to be endangering an opposition. And it should, for me, that should be like a 10-match ban. Like, you know, putting a putting an opposition player at risk like that just shouldn't be... I don't I don't understand, and it really frustrates me, this argument of, oh, well, he, you know, it wasn't intentional, it wasn't malicious. Yeah, there's only one consequence from jumping at that height like he did at that angle, whether you, you mean it or not. Chances are you're going to cause serious injury to someone. And if you don't, it's incredibly lucky for that person. How they didn't come back to send him off, I don't know. I'm not sure what VAR and the referees, even the referee on the field, how he didn't see it. I don't, I'm not. I'm no. I don't just want to blame VAR for this. The, that was a clear. It was clear in the moment that it was a disgusting challenge. Yeah, there's there's something wrong if challenges like that don't get unpunished. And they've got to ask if he wasn't England's number one, would it maybe have got a second look? I agree. It doesn't matter. Intent doesn't matter. Regardless of what the outcome of a challenge like that is, it still needs to be a red card because it's A, it's still serious foul play. And B, mentally, if a player has been involved in a challenge like that, they shouldn't be on the pitch, whether they meant to do it or not. You're not in the right frame of mind. So at the very least, if you're not going to be sent off, you should have been substituted. I can well believe he didn't mean to break Van Dyke's leg but that doesn't mean that it still wasn't horrendously reckless and I, I think it just shows a pretty one of the very many weaknesses in Pickford's game actually. I also think it's a weird thing but we've all played with that nutter at school and maybe Ash you were the nutter I don't know it's Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but Definitely. we've all we've all played play with rugby. nutter who will like try and two foot someone and they'll literally like hurdle the tackle and they'll go, I didn't touch you. And it's like, well, well, it's like if I have to leap a meter in the air to avoid getting a broken leg, I'm not sure that, <laughs> that you weren't endangering my, <laughs> my physical condition. Um, but yeah, no, I thought I've, I've not liked the, the, the kind of discourse around it. Um, I saw Jamie Carragher saying, you know, he, he both feels sorry for him because he's had his leg broken um, and he's also, he nearly broke Nani's leg. And he just said, you know, I think, I think for, from his point of view, sometimes you do that once a player where you lunge in, you do something a bit irrational and then you look back and you feel almost sick and you, you, you can't sort of undo your actions. I wonder, you know, last season we had Son, didn't, didn't we, who, uh, you know, played a role in the Andre Gomez leg yeah. break. And I remember saying to, saying to my brother, you know, By no playing the role, do you mean he he just broke his leg? He did it, yeah. <laughs> the sole person responsible. Well, yeah, he did play a role. Well, <laughs> I think with Son, I don't. You know, he hasn't gone to do anything malicious. He's gone to just to commit a professional foul, right? He's just gone to 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 unbalance and make him fall over, and therefore, like, he's happy to give away the free kick. So yeah, I think my 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 frustrations have been well and truly vented. But I just wanted to see, you know, my Am I going insane here in the world of football, or is that is that just me? No, VAR just got distracted by the the, the theatricalness of the 
the offside. It was so fixated on was uh, Van Dijk on a raft that it completely missed uh, the obvious. You know, in that situation, after after the whistle's gone, the ball's not in play, so it's not serious foul play. But you know, it's still violent conduct. I mean, there's no reason why they shouldn't retrospectively go back and look at it. What do you think? Coming back a little bit to Spurs, I guess we've now got two matches this week. How do you think we 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 would feel mentally if you're in that dressing room going in now to a couple of big games? How are you feeling walking away? Hopefully, they're absolutely chomping at the bit to to get back out there and to right some wrongs, I suppose. And luckily, we've got a game in a couple of days' time for them to focus on and and to get back out there, which is the benefit of playing twice a week. Before we move on, I've written a bit of an ode to the to the West Ham game in general, but it, it also is a bit of an ode to the diatomy between Ardevard and Sanchez because they're poles apart. Uh, it's half borrowed by, from uh, Charles Dickens. Uh, but what was that classic you, you talked about in the last pod, Jim? You brought out some sort of Greek mythology. Lysistrata. All right. Well, uh, following on with that, I've gone through something a bit more contemporary for our listeners. So I've gone for an adaptation of um, A Tale of Two Cities, but I've, I've sort of called it a tale of, either A Tale of Two Halves or A Tale of Two CBs. And I'm not sure which uh, <laughs> title to go for. <laughs> I like the, the last one. That one. Yeah. So for those in the know, this is how it goes. It was the best of halves. It was the worst of halves. One had an age of wisdom. One had an age of foolishness. It was the enoch of belief. It was the enoch of infidelity. It was a half of shite. It was a half of sharpness. It was the summer of hope. It was the winter of usual despair. We had three points before us. We had one point between us. We were all going direct to second. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the Jose period that some of the noisiest tweeters insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only or something like that. They don't write them like they used to, do they? <laughs> so, That's yeah. superb. I mean... I'm not sure. Yeah, like that. Well done. I thought you were going to do um, now as the winter of our discontent for a second. <laughs> I was like, I was like, <laughs> bit of worrying news come out today. Apparently, Troy Parrott is now back at the training ground getting treatment for an ankle injury that might keep him out for six weeks. <laughs> and have we not seen this all before in uh, Marcus Edwards, Dale Edmondson, John Bostock, Lee Barnard, a series of uh, young names that we always hoped were going to be great things and never seemed to happen. Am I, are we a bit worried it might happen to him as well? I'm not particularly worried. I think six weeks isn't isn't too long an injury. Um, I think he's he's at a good club to help him progress. Um, I think it's become a more common occurrence now that when clubs loan players out, if they've got superior medical facilities and the players fundamentally still theirs, they go back when being treated. So... I'm, I, I still have very high hopes for, for Troy Parrott. I think he's got a lot of the raw ingredients. But, you know, in the same way that I think if there's one thing Davinson Sanchez has taught me, it's that we might think there's potential there, but you only know it if you see it. So until he <laughs> until he scores 15 championship goals and comes back uh, to White Hart Lane, he's just another youth team player for me. And there's no, there's no, there's no more need to put pressure on his shoulders. How bad must the Millwall medical room be? Do you reckon it's just a... 
a bucket and a sponge. I reckon the their medical facility is a bit like you know, like the Chokey and Matilda. Like you just get like the door shut. <laughs> a bit of trivia this week, a bit of Spurs history. I'll test your knowledge. Uh, the 17th of October marked the anniversary of a very important event in Tottenham's history. What was it? It was in 1885. Was it being founded? It is not, Jim. Because uh, beating you, West Ham for the first time. First or game. You, you're on the right lines, Jim. First, what kind of game? Professional. First competitive game. Yes. Jim knows his football history. We played our first competitive game in a London Association Cup against what team? Millwall. <laughs> no, we beat uh, St Albans, believe it or not, uh, by 5-2. Do you know who scored? <laughs> Surprisingly, uh, don't. Ben, you're down a rabbit hole here. Just stop digging. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. No one knows because no one's actually recorded it a goal score as well. Uh, and allegedly there were 400 fans, which is uh, what they were doing a lot better than we are now. Anyway, up to Thursday. Jim, we're playing Lask on Thursday. What is a Lask? <laughs> a Lask is a uh, Linz Athletic Sport Club. So they're from uh, Linz in Austria, which I think is like the, the third city in Austria. Quite an interesting club, actually. They've bounced around the top uh, two or three divisions in Austria. They've only, they've only been up in the top division for a couple of years but they um they challenged red bull salzburg last year for the title and probably would have won it but for having a 12 point deduction for breaking covid rules so they probably feel a bit stupid should have worn a mask should have worn a mask should have should have worn a lask sorry so, so. <laughs> <laughs> um they're quite a little club they've only got a stadium with a capacity of 6,009, which is roughly the same as Kidderminster Harriers of the Conference North or Hamilton, Ac- Hamilton Academical of Scotland. And they're quite spursy in the sense, not only did they choke when they had the chance to win the league, but in their history, they've only won one league title and one Austrian Cup. So the um, the trophy cabinet at Alaska is even smaller and lonelier than the one at Spurs. But they, um, they've kind of turned it around in the last few years. Apparently, six years ago, they were in serious danger of going out of business and sorted themselves out. Uh, last season, they gave Man United a good game at Old Trafford. Uh, ended up losing 2-1, but they were still uh, competitive in that game. And by all accounts, they're quite a good footballing side. They play a, a sort of quite aggressive 3-4-3 don't give uh, the opposition much time on the ball. High tempo, they generally play with quite a high line, which if West Ham is anything to go by, is probably a good thing for Spurs. And apparently the, the standout player is a guy called Marco Raguz, who is a um, an Austrian international. He's only 22. He's the size of a beanpole, got a foot-like traction engine and... <laughs> Is apparently quite quite a bit of a prospect, but yeah, it should be it should be a good game. I, I don't think the Austrian league is up to much really in terms of standard. And frankly, if they gave United a game at Old Trafford, that's not saying much, is it? So um, so I can't imagine too many problems for Spurs on Thursday. But it should be an interesting game all the same. Be fun to see uh, Vinicius in a, in action. Um, I'm really hoping that they they leave Kane at home. And just give him, just tell him to tuck his toes up in bed and get ready to just commit more cynical fouls on opposition left backs when they jump for headers. 
and otherwise just protect, <laughs> just just try and rest up and and let you know it's a chance to rotate it's a chance for Bale to get you know maybe a start in 60 minutes get the job done and then we've got the much more important fixture on uh, on Saturday. As great as that would be, I can't see Kane not starting. I reckon he'll start with a fairly strong team. Maybe Lucas will come in for Bergwijn. We might see Blintz come in for Sissoko. But other than that, I can't see too many other changes. I'm definitely not watching that match if you're <laughs> not exactly giving me much incentive here. So yeah. I'll ask for your scores of the doors, if you will. Uh, Jim, what are you saying for Thursday? 3-1 Spurs. Jules? 4-0. Wow. Ash? <laughs> 2-0. Tottenham. Thank you for that clarity. Uh, I want to say 2-1 Spurs as well. I don't think we'll keep a clean sheet. Uh, we've got Burnley away at the, the weekend. Might be quite hard to break down considering they managed a uh, 0-0 draw, uh, which is a uh, tremble those. <laughs> <laughs> what are we feeling for Burnley? They've become one of the most difficult teams to predict recently. They could turn up and give you a hard game, make you have to really grind, or they can just come to stink out the game. Having said that, I'd probably say 2-1 Spurs. I'd like to think that we could learn a little bit from both the Newcastle game and the West Ham game in terms of just being a little bit more clinical and, and sort of showing some game management skills. Um, but I do not like the idea of Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood and some of their uh, pretty aggressive, dominant forwards against what appears to be a bit of a porous uh, backline at the moment, particularly in the air. So I'm I'm afraid I'm going to say a one-all draw. I don't think Burnley are up to much, to be honest. They will probably go down this year, but with Spurs being as leaky as they are and completely unable to keep a clean sheet, I'll stick to what I went for last time and go to all. Mm-hmm. A cheeky Desmond. I don't trust them to... I just don't trust them. Uh, don't think they'll score 2-0 Spurs. Clean sheet, bold shout. Exactly. Clean, That's just what we need. A clean sheet and a win would be just so therapeutic for my soul at this moment. <laughs> I've, I've sent you some uh, some lyrics from, from my favourite uh, musician, Bruce Springsteen, and the song is One Step Forward, Two Steps Back. I know, I felt like it tapped into my emotions after the game. I was wondering if you could sign us off with a, a reading of said lyrics. It's the same thing night on night. Who's wrong, baby? Who's right? Another fight and I slam the door on another battle in our dirty little war. When I look at myself, I don't see the man I wanted to be. Somewhere along the line, I slipped off track. I'm caught moving one step up. And two steps back. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>